0: oh hello you
1: hello you now, hello, this is our portugal.
0: second hello this is our second international recording this oh is very God. exciting it's <laughs> like you're not even in the same country
1: <laughs> can you hear the crackling on the line
0: in, uh. caller <laughs> Come in, caller <laughs> where, where in the world are you louise winters
1: so i'm in portugal uh, and i am staying in a smallish it's not Actually, a smallish town. Well, I'm staying outside a smallish town called montemor novo which is about half an hour's drive from Evra, which is quite an important and historical city that's quite near the Spanish border, um, and about an hour's drive from Lisbon, and about on the same latitude as Lisbon. So it's kind of south central in the country. So it's kind of in the southern part, but not very far. Not kind of. It's definitely it's not no near the Algarve, for example.
0: Very nice too. And I can see the sun is streaming through the windows, you're looking relaxed, you're looking chilled.
1: It, it is lovely here. Uh, I have been working today, but it, yeah, the sun is, and it was overcast earlier, but the sun coming through is just beautiful. And there's, and we're out we're out in a rural area, so it's, it's lovely actually, there's lots of birds, lots of strange animal noises in the night. Um, it's all exciting.
0: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> indeed. Well, so obviously, I mean, regular listeners will know it's been a it's been a minute, should we say, to our last recording. It's been like two months, hasn't it?
1: It ha- it has, yeah, yeah, because we both got kind of busy, didn't we, around the end of April, beginning of May.
0: We did. I was like, I don't know where that time has gone. It has just disappeared into the blur of, of stuff and things.
1: Yeah, well, I I feel similarly about it. So, the whole of April for me was kind of I was gearing up to get married uh and you joined us for the wedding which was just wonderful death, was so we got married day. at the end of april it was indeed a gorgeous day it was just wonderful um and then after that i was gearing up to come away on our honeymoon and also so we're out here for my, my, my husband and i goodness my husband and i are out here for about five and a half weeks in total we're about three weeks in
0: Lovely. Um, have you got yeah. used to my husband and i yet
1: no not at all because <laughs> <laughs> because I really felt the strangeness of it just now. I was going to say my partner and I, and I'm like, oh, no, I can say he's my husband, my husband, Joe. Yeah, but I haven't got used to it, no. It's lovely.
0: <laughs> Very nice, too. Very nice, too. And, yeah, like you said, it, it was a bit bomb because it's been Yeah, work's been crazy for me. And, it's, you know, my cat, my cat was ill and, and sadly died, not actually long before your, your wedding. So a lot of my time has been taken up in, in care and then in grief and, and that sort of thing. And it's been an interesting learning time. Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. I've um, t- taken the chance to treat grief as a teacher. Actually, treat her and her illness and her uh, death as a, a teaching moment, as a, as a lesson, but actually then grief itself as a teacher, which has been a really interesting experiment. I mean, it's not the first time I've, I've lost a, a very beloved and um, fur fur baby, as people call them. Hmm. But yeah, just this time around I'm like, I'm going to listen in to what grief has to say and how it crops up and how it shows up and all the weird things it does and makes you do and that sort of thing and including shouting at the vacuum cleaner one day
1: I (laughs) will I mean vacuum cleaners can be tricky at the best of (laughs) times I love I love that idea of um I love your idea of welcoming I suppose because I'm also sensing you didn't know that you said the word welcome but I'm sensing a welcoming of grief as a teacher you know there's something um, yeah, this kind of opening up, uh, opening up to it, maybe.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think "welcoming" is a, a good word. I mean, it's it's tough, and obviously, grief affects everyone differently in different contexts, and so on. everyone has their their own responses to it. And there's obviously no right way to to do these things, but I think I, I took it and thought, well, you can either be in opposition to it or accept that it's there, and hmm. accept the grief. So often, is because of love. And love and grief are, are for me, very intertwined into the, into the two. And if you don't, if one doesn't grieve for something, one doesn't have a connection to it. That's why I don't grieve for the chocolate bar I ate at lunchtime, for so I it was very delicious. Um, but actually, and I'm not being flippant, but actually drawing those, the, the line in between. But yeah, just listen, listening in and being present to it as well. And I think that's, it's taken up a lot more energy than I thought, but it's been a very, I almost said, uh, nourishing, actually nourishing's not a bad perspective overall in time it will be be nourishing it's just an interesting interesting journey to observe so yes that's kind of taken up a lot of my brain as well Mm. as well as work and traveling down for the most marvelous wedding i've been doing many a year
1: yeah you came a long way and and that was yeah which was lovely but i'm really tuning into what you said about taking energy and time and i think that's that's an important it's an important thing to understand that connections to connections in our lives
0: mm-hmm.
1: that take you know they require energy to to make to sustain and they don't just the connection doesn't disappear when the when the person or the or the pet dies mm-hmm. um the connection's still there you know you're still on your end of it um for sure yeah. and who knows what happens after we die because none of us know what that's like um
0: great ineffable
1: yeah, indeed. So good on you for giving yourself time and permission. And is, is there anything that you've observed that you'd like to share?
0: I think that's a really good question. I don't know. I think I think it is that time and it is that permission and it's that I suppose the way I've because the way I'm approaching it is it's almost like a mode of inquiry sounds terribly Mm. wonky I realise but that kind of asking into it going well what is what are you giving me what are you serving me what are you telling me what can I take forth from this and what can I put aside as well Mm. and actually having that kind of spirit of inquiry and I think again there is no right way or wrong way to do these things and I've listened to I've listened in the past to people saying I should be at this stage or I should be at that stage of grief that's the I want to say five stages or something it was invented at some point (laughs) at some point by someone that's not the most helpful thing I've ever said um but someone kind of came up with the five stages but it kind of fitted a very particular model I actually believe it was a model built for people who were in hospice receiving terminal care it was to Mm. to work with them rather than those who were then remaining after that person had died um Mm. So yeah, there's all this, kind of, I should be doing this, I should be doing that, and yeah, it kind of creeps up on you, and like I say, shouting at the vacuum cleaner one day, because I, I had to vacuum a bed, I to, one of Shiro's beds, we're going to donate her beds, and I was vacuuming it, and of course, that started vacuuming it, and of course it was cut in her hair, and, I mean, not so, I mean, she molted. she was a, a normal cat, it wasn't like she was just like running and hair was flying in a halo <laughs> around her. Yeah, she was but a I, very
1: beautiful cat, Also, absolutely oh, beautiful cat.
0: And she did know it. She knew and it. She, she yes. Knew. Anyone who's ever seen
1: a photograph of Shiro, <laughs> listeners, if you've She's followed like, Neil on Twitter, eee. you've seen any pictures, you'll know immediately that Shiro knew she was God's gift she to the world. And she inhabited every every <laughs> millimetre of it.
0: Every piece of fur. But I was sitting there and so I was thinking, oh, I need to vacuum this. And looking at the, the, the fur that was the remaining on the, the bed. And I was like, and started to cry and kind of howling and doing all that sort of thing. And, at one point, I was just like, I just don't want to.
1: Mm.
0: And that's what came out, and I was like, that's interesting. I want mm. these moments of that kind of shift, almost like kind of a, a, a zen, koan kind of shift of, ooh, that's fun. Of course, I don't want to vacuum a, a bed, because it wasn't just the vacuuming the act the act of vacuuming the bed and removing it there. And da, da, da. There was a whole other symbolism and a whole other piece to it. Mm. I... The absence and, and the loss of that. And I thought like, this is this is interesting. So yeah, just uh, just noticing a duality and actually kind of enjoying is a, a strange word for it, but noticing it. And I suppose appreciate it. Appreciating the fact I can appreciate the appreciating of the duality. Mm. I think I've just dived into a linguistic
1: <laughs> rabbit hole <laughs> been or something. <laughs> around for minutes and minutes and maybe days. But, but actually, what I really picked up was. That sounds like you really connected with yourself in that mm. moment actually. No, I, I just don't want to. It's really clear and it's really normal. It's a really mm. normal response to something that is painful or upsetting or you know, however however that is for you. That's completely normal.
0: Mm. Thank you. Yeah. It felt a bit weird at the time shelving the vacuum cleaner. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I, I can understand that, and and actually, it's what it what it what it makes me think of is the way that quite young children will very unselfconsciously say, "But I don't want to," and they'll be very upset about. It. And it might seem trivial to the adults around them; yeah. it might seem small, but actually, it's not. Their needs yeah. are not being met. And it's you know it's existential in a way. Mm. You know, getting our needs met is about our very existence. So, it's not small, um, and it's very human.
0: Thank you. Yes, but yeah. So that's that's been kind of where, Yeah, I've been at, and, and work is just the interesting world of working in public sector,
1: sector? recruitment,
0: marketing, craziness. Yeah. Good things are happening. Good things, but it's not
1: That is good. I have to say um, that. I feel that if you're working on if you're working on it then good things will be happening because the oh, work is fantastic but, but of course there's only so much one person in a mire can, can <laughs> achieve and I don't know exactly what it's like in your workplace but I can take some guesses that there are some challenges
0: oh, always but that's that's what you get for working in public sector especially at the moment let's be honest let's not get too political but it's all a bit it's all a bit tricky out there. Google nursing strikes.
1: Very, <laughs> very <laughs> polite way of putting it. It's all a bit tricky out there, isn't it? And some people are stirring stick. the pot a lot more than others. Mm. Indeed. <laughs> but I'm not going to say Indeed. who.
0: Indeed. <laughs> but talking of stirring pots, there is a link here to the, the swirling pot of creativity.
1: Oh, oh! I see where you're going. That's fantastic. Can this, you're on form again. I mean, it's been two months, but it's like never <laughs> left.
0: I've been waiting to use that link for two months.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I want,
0: I want to start in a most unusual place, Barbie.
1: Goodness me. Okay, uh, now, I didn't see that coming.
0: <laughs> I thought i just throw, give it one hand, take with the other. Um, so, Barbie, there Barbie. is a the serious podcast voice, but there is a new Barbie film coming out. What I wasn't expecting was that you'd put the link in our planning keep going, I'm really excited about this Barbie film.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly my usual MO, is it? But
0: no, we've known each other for many a year, and this is one of those delightful, again, little shunting moments of, oh, something new is occurring here. Ex- explain, Louise. Explain
1: myself. Why am I interested explain in yourself. this Barbie film? Okay, so the first thing I have to say is it's not only because it stars Ryan Gosling. Okay, so it does star Ryan Gosling, as Ken. But actually, what, <laughs> that I learned later. I was like, oh, well, definitely then. That's you why you sure? sorted. On <laughs> there you go. There was, you were then
0: queuing for the tickets.
1: I <laughs> was. Before okay. then,
0: it was like, I'll just stream it. And she was like, no, I'm going to the IMAX. I'm sitting at the front. That's
1: it. Yes, that's it. Um, no, the, my first encounter um, with anything about because I don't get a lot of film news. It's not unlike. Unlike you, Neil, um, I don't kind of tend to follow a lot of film news. My first encounter was someone in my network tweeted it when I was still on Twitter, and I think it was Super Jules. So, Jules, if you're listening, um, thank you, because you put this in my world. She tweeted an article about, which was kind of a bit like, so what's the Barbie film all about then? And I was like, oh, God, they're making a Barbie film. But because it was from Jules, I thought, she'd said, I'm really, I'm super excited for this. I'm like, okay, I need to look into this. (laughs) and um so it was the the kind of the point of the article was given the director that they've got uh on the barbie film and it's greta gerwig isn't it
0: it is indeed yes
1: Greta Gerwig. given the director um we're looking forward to finding out you know kind of what her take is on the barbie universe and they said a bit more about the other work that she's done and at that point i was like oh okay this isn't going to be a kind of bright shiny plasticky yay barbie uh we just want (laughs) more barbies film it's actually going to be an interesting look um and kind of really kind of going into the pop culture phenomenon that is barbie which you know has to be said like like her or loathe her barbie has been hugely influential uh and it's been you know she's kind of she's been around for a very long time she's had a massive influence on popular culture on, you know, kind of the lives of millions of small girls um, and probably, in fact, small children of all kinds. Let's not be sexist about it. My whole point about why I didn't want to watch a Barbie film and I'm falling <laughs> into the trap already. Um, so, and I, I played with Barbies. I played with Barbies when I was little, my sister and I. Uh, we used to kind of make up, you know, stories and adventures and, and make me clothes them. Oh, and the other Barbie story actually that I've got is that... Um, I, there was this, I mean, so listeners may or may not know, depending on how familiar you are with Barbie, there was a tradition of releasing a holiday Barbie each Christmas, I think, and she would have the most luxurious, amazing kind of ball gown thing they would usually be in plastic presentation boxes the skirts would kind of come out several inches um you know and it would kind of be a special barbie anyway, so my sister and i got given a special holiday barbie one year we didn't really know what to do with them but we were kind of told that we needed to leave them in the packaging and we couldn't really play with them like, okay so you know forgot about them anyway years later my mum is looking for something to put on the top of the christmas tree <laughs> <laughs> and we remember that we've got these Barbies, and one of them had this glorious red and red dress with kind of taffeta. So anyway, Barbie sits on the top of my mum's Christmas tree every year now. I mean, it was a we had a difficult wow. job getting her to stay up there and not bend the tree over with her weight <laughs> Okay. You know, they're they're actually quite heavy, and Christmas trees aren't that robust at the top. But anyway, over the years, my mum has found various different ways of attaching Barbie to the top of the Christmas tree and making sure she stays up there and looks lovely. There you go.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. So from Ryan Gosling to the top of your mum's Christmas tree.
1: I know. The breadth is unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) But, But what I'm really, really excited about is to see... Where exactly the story goes in this Barbie film? We've had some hints, haven't we, with the trailer and with yes. this kind of latest article that that I shared with you about the, you know, where it might be going, which
0: is quite yes.
1: exciting.
0: Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I'm also excited for it. I don't recollect playing with Barbies. Don't recollect. He Man probably explains oh, okay. a lot. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just saying. Um so, so just if you don't not familiar with He-Man people, look him up. Um <laughs> I'll be <all> out. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, weirdly excited for it. I mean it looks like a visual feast. It looks amazing. Yes. Greta's right. previous work is really interesting and again I think should bring quite a, a good intersectional feminist lens to it. Mm. Um but yeah, I mean not sort of trailer. I mean the first trailer spoofed two thousand and one. I was like,
1: ooh. I I know, that's like, that's pretty bold, isn't it?
0: That's, that's, yeah. I mean, you get a stinky claim with Barbie to like one of the most iconic sci fi films ever by one of the most iconic directors ever, you know. Um, 2001 is quite quite a place to start. But interesting on the whole, and not saying anything that's not outside of the current trailer, because I know no more, I'm not some kind of movie insider, Um, sadly. And about so you know, tickets. I am available if anyone wants me to be movie insider. Just saying, oh, um, he's good. He's good. Just, thank you very much. <laughs> but the whole escape to the real world thing, I was like, ooh, yes. existential Barbie, also makes me think a little bit of um, the League of Gentlemen film, which they did escape to the real world
1: as oh, well. So I didn't I'm not see quite.
0: That. No, it's it's a bit weird. It's on the end of. Series, it's between season two and three, I think. On its own, the film makes virtually no sense. We saw it at the cinema and went, what? Um, but actually, when you kind of watch everything through and then pile in, it's either on the end of three or on the end of two, I can't remember, and then pile into it, it's like, ah, oh, we get it now. But yeah, the whole kind of Barbie and Ken kind of escaping and some of the kind of in jokes and kind of nods mm. to different parts of popular culture, like, this actually could be quite fun. And I'm rather hoping not for children.
1: Yes, that's my hope for it too, because I think there's a lot. There's a lot of kind of weighty subject matter in there. And there's a lot of cultural themes that could be explored, and I I like the idea that it's escaping into the real world. It's also something about the tagline. It's it's been about three weeks since I've read the article, so the details my brain's got a bit a bit muddled and frazzled. Um, but even just in so there's a space odyssey homage, which is quite something. There's no room to hide there. Um, <laughs> and I like that. And there's the idea of escaping to the real world and, and I can't remember did did someone in the did did the article make a reference to the Truman show? May have. Which was an interesting thing. Oh, it may
0: not have done, but I think I've seen another one that does.
1: Maybe yes, maybe there was another one that did. Um but also just the tagline as well. There's something about and in the posters I've seen, something about, you know, everyone, Barbie is, you know, perfect and, you know, everyone's supposed to be perfect. But there's, I can't remember exactly something like unless you're Ken or and then there's Ken. Like, that's interesting. So what's the relationship going to be between Barbie and Ken? And yes. what what place and space does Ken occupy alongside, you know, kind of Barbie clearly finding, trying to find her place and space when she's, you know, and she kind of finds she's not, she's not perfect enough. Yes, Ooh. yes,
0: that's how I just called out called out the poster and it's um where's it gone? Uh, da, da, da. She's everything, he's just Ken.
1: That's right, she's everything, he's just Ken. And I just, yeah. just I have I'm just really curious about that.
0: I know, so it, it's gonna be really interesting. And it's got it's got a great cast as well. People like Helen Miriam, Will Farrell, um really good. Obviously people. you Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, Leeper. Yeah, just Oh, my, I mean, even Michael Sarah's in that Of course he is, sort of in the trailer um, Silly me So yeah, just, it just seems Like it's going to be something bonkers But I've got a feeling, just because of Greta Gerwig It's going to actually have something to say underneath As well as just being an assault on the eyeballs
1: Yes, I, that's what I'm really hoping for An assault on the <laughs> eyeballs And something to think about afterwards
0: Hmm, <laughs> you never know
1: <laughs> Sounds like a good night in, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> Brian Gosling in IMAX in your case
1: <laughs> yes well there is that i I need to talk to my friend sally of course if you know if if we were in the same vicinity i'd suggest that that um that we go along together but we're going to have to just you know go and see it individually or separately and then talk about it afterwards clearly
0: sounds like a good discussion group Hmm. And in that, I mean, that's one version of stirring the pot, and the other version of stirring the pot, slightly more scientific and sensible. And I'm sure Barbie is going to have kind of a deep existentialist, kind of Nietzsche, Foucaultian undertones. You never. I'll be know. looking
1: for the philosophy. I'll be
0: looking for the philosophy. It's um, just like the Barbie hands. Um, <laughs> Very... I'm intrigued to know how Barbie's going to, like, open jars. Those hands have not got opposable thumbs. Um, anyway, the... Uh, the yes, Behavioural Scientist mm. put out a great piece yes. about uh, creativity. Which I saw, my first thought was, ah, will like this. Um, and just how actually... What's the title of it? Uh, On the quest for originality, recombine the familiar. So it's Adam Alter who's who now actually seems. I think he must be doing like the rounds of all the sensible publications because he's got his new book out. And now I've seen him once. You know, it's like like, you're looking for a red car, and I've seen his name once. He's like, oh, he's literally everywhere. Um, He might even be in the Barbie movie. Who knows? Probably not. Never mind. Um, But actually, how so much of creative work is a recombination or a tweaking? Of someone else's work, and it goes on to talk about Bob Dylan at some sort of mm. length, and talking about <clears throat> excuse me, talking about um, him taking work by Odetta and other artists, and kind of putting a bit of a Dylanesque piece on it. But it's basically the same song. If you listen to it, and obviously you've just had who was Ed Sheeran going to court and playing, taking his guitar into court and, and kind of playing to prove that his song did or didn't borrow a couple of, I think, eight notes in order or something. From a previous one. I can't remember the exact detail of it. It was it was a few months ago. But I just thought it was just really interesting because there's such and I don't know if you find this, but reading any kind of marketing y, advertising, y brandy thing, there's so much fetishization of the new and the unusual the innovation and that sort of classic thing. And and it's like in films. It people sort of you have this kind of piece around show me something I've never seen before, but that's exactly like X, Y, and Z,
1: mm.
0: and so, and that's quite in a film that's quite common. You sort of end up having to sell a film by um, describing it in terms of something else. As i will be talking about last time with um, everything everywhere all at once, and that you can't describe that film in terms of any uh, basically terms of any other film it makes it a hard sell, but it makes it a brilliant watch. But I just really, really like this piece, and I was like, it just again rekindled for me that P, that kind of idea, that thought experiment around. Actually, what if you took something? fairly standard or something of someone else's and just gave it a little tweak, what happens then, what spaces open up and how that va- is that, how valuable is that, I suppose, as is a, is a question.
1: Mm. Mm. I really like that question. And I, th- I think what this article does is it, it kind of explains and sets out very clearly that Create that. This the kind of a, this is a potential mechanism for creativity, and creative thinking, and I take I tend to agree, kind of intuitively agree that it's actually it's very difficult to come up with an entirely new idea, and it really doesn't happen that often. Um, and actually, what it what it reminded me of when you were speaking was some of the reading that I did on. Um, of the philosophy of literature um, and the reader's experience of literature but it's true for any kind of art that um, you kind of have a window what you're doing needs to be relatable enough to your audience that they you don't totally lose them you know And, and I mean it also needs to be relatable enough that you can wrap your brain world understanding around it as well um, but you certainly you know you kind of your audience has to be able to relate relate what they're reading or experiencing back to mm-hmm. something otherwise it, you know it's just too alien for them but on the other hand you know if, if it's if it's entirely kind of what they're used to then you know and exactly is something they've encountered before that's you know they' unlikely to hold their interest either so there's a bit of a window there mm-hmm. which kind of for me it feels like another kind of um, argument, shoring up the idea that we're unlikely to make really great creative leaps very often. Um, and actually, and I really wanted to come back and answer your question, and I've managed to forget forget what you asked. What was your question?
0: I, I think it was. I was sorry, I was entranced by listening to you. so I'm remembering backwards. Um, I think it was the that idea of combination, recombination. How valuable do you find that?
1: Mm. I think it it relieves that just acknowledging that relieves the pressure to come to try and come up with something truly original um, and but because I think creating anything expressing anything is a kind of a journey I think you start with an idea or you start with an inspiration or you start with something but then, to create something truly interesting you have to kind of transform it many times you have to kind of go on a journey with it so that kind of helps me the idea of you know recombining and recombining things being a form of creativity maybe the form of creativity um helps me kind of it gives me a bit more of a mechanism to that to the idea that you kind of you know you start with something but the, the idea or the inspiration or the whatever it is you start with is never going to be the finished piece of work mm. it, you know it's kind of that's that's you haven't you haven't transformed it enough there's far there's much further you can travel much further along the road with it it's a bit like that with poetry i have actually i just recently i've been writing again since i got to portugal i've Yay. Been, so, been so maxed out with everything this year so far and I, awesome. I thought, I'm just going to leave it. So yeah, I started writing. And I, I, I had a perfect, I had a perfect, perfect perfect line of poetry come to me just after I'd laid down to go to sleep one night, probably about 10 days ago now. And I said I said to my husband, I'm really sorry. And I was just settled about, I'm going to have to go and do some writing. He's <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and I wrote that one line. And that's all it was. It was maybe one, maybe one and a half lines. I'm like, this is perfect. This is perfect. And what... What I learned from my poetry mentor, RG, is that that's great, but then every other line in your poem has to be that good or better. Okay. Right? You don't, because what I used to do was go, oh, I've got a brilliant line. I can write a poem around this. That line will shine out. And that's, that, is, that is one way to write poetry, and that's, and that's perfectly fine. But RG said, look, if you want to really improve your poetry, look at that line. Get rid of everything else in the poem that isn't that good. I'm like, okay, oh, that's quite a lot more work, and it is. So, um, it's the, the idea that you kind of, you know, you know, kind of need ideas, but you need to walk with them. You need to take them other mm. places.
0: Okay, and have you found the process of getting back into writing? So, I so say you have been phenomenally busy with with a million and one different things.
1: It's it's been mad, um, but someone there's also a, an idea that a few people have mentioned to me is that sometimes there are periods of time that are just for gathering you're just gathering mm-hmm. and yep. and it and the time for expression will come later so i've been thinking about it like that um and i i mean i've done a lot of thinking and reflecting and getting my kind of self in order in various ways over the last few months so i think that for the writing to come now it kind of makes sense and also being in a completely different context being in a different country mm-hmm. it's great for just kind of shifting the view and that's another thing that i really like in poetry and i want to be able to do with my poetry is is to just take a fresh view on things and okay. and you know again that sounds a bit you know like another kind of way of maybe looking at so the poem with a perfect line been wanting to write about swifts um, because some of my fondest memories of being in portugal this year this year and last year arriving in portugal is is they're being swifts. they just they they're here earlier because it's warmer and it's closer to where they breed in africa um so i wanted to write about swifts and i was just like yeah but all of the ideas i was having were really pedestrian really mundane um and then, and I've wanted to write about Swiss for about three years, actually, because I love the oh, wow. Follow when they come when they come in when they come in the UK. It's like happy, happy days when they when they leave at the end of the summer. It's like I'm I'm sad, um, and I don't know where I was going with that now. But, but there's, some, there's something about the idea of being in a different place and it being a different, so taking a familiar idea but a different viewpoint on it. Mm. You know, and then maybe, and then there's there's another transformation that I'm kind of reaching for at the moment that I haven't quite figured yet, and it's something about trying to describe the way the swifts move and fly, without just describing them like they're birds. I was trying to describe a swift in terms of the sea.
0: Okay, I wow. do, yeah.
1: Which just sounds a bit kind of mad and disjointed, but by the time I've finished with this idea, it'll be beautiful.
0: <laughs> Lovely. I can't wait.
1: Hooray. I think I might have just rambled for a minute. <laughs> I feel quite self-conscious now. I got lost in my own train of thought.
0: Is it all good. It is all good. It'll come back. It's one of those sort of things. And Actually, that was one of the pieces that the, that article was Talking about was something called, and I wrote it down, cryptom- cryptonisia. Cryptomnesia is a an m- MN n- in the middle. I blame the Greeks. Um, there's a m- n- in the middle, so yeah, I think they're it's responsible for a lot. I
1: mean, that's a fair point. I
0: know, <laughs> bless them. Um, but that idea that something actually can sit in the back of your head and then suddenly come back. Later on, and you think, oh, that's brand brand new, um, and then you can combine it into to other things. But it did make me think. So I did share this article on LinkedIn as well. And I did share my favorite ever Darren Brown clip because it's annoys creative people, creative air quotes. Sorry, mode of pure audio genius. <laughs> creative in air quotes. God, out of practice, I tell you. But it, yeah, I was singling in, into it. But basically, Darren gets four men yeah, two creative teams from two different agencies and says, I want you to design a brand for a pet shop, I think it is, or a taxidermy shop, something like that. And he takes them on a circuitous cab route around London to get to the studio. They don't know this, but they're being set up. And so basically he's already drawn what they're going to come up with. And of course they're sitting there in their creative bubble, going to be very creative, um, not realising they've been completely and utterly set up. He's driven them past a stuffed bear a pub called something or other etc etc and it's just and for them it's just gone into the back of their heads back of their minds and has come back out going oh this is a whole brand new thing and like, yeah. don't say, you know but but actually that article kind of it places that sort of thing because i've had times like that and you kind of come up with something like oh, i've had this amazing idea and someone goes yeah that was kind of in the news like four months ago mm. you're like oh damn um but it's just things sit and it comes up and it can it can feel quite crushing, I think, actually. If you go, this is brand new, and yeah. someone goes, no, nah, maybe not. Exactly. Um, yes. But I, I think, actually, there's a, a point in of accepting that our minds do this. And you're saying, like, time for gathering, our minds are very, very good at bugging loads of stuff in. I don't know where it puts just bugging stuff in the back. And then suddenly something happens and you go, oh, a b c d. G3000 over there, and it just kind yes. of comes up, and that's okay, that's fine, that
1: is okay, that's normal. Where it gets difficult is about you know giving credit where credit's due, but actually, mm. there is, I think, this is part of the thing is, and when you said about it being crushing, I felt that you know, that kind of crushing sense of oh, I thought this was a new idea, I thought I'd come up with something great and interesting, and you know, and someone says, Oh, well, actually, someone said that a few weeks ago, well yeah, that's just that's. You, you've been watching this, haven't you? But I think that's because there's a sense of shame there, and I don't oh, think there is. I not think any okay. shame at all in drawing on the things that are you know that we've that we've been gathering and bunging in the back and bringing them out and reconfiguring them in ways. But where there is a difficulty is when. Um, when you kind of when you're not giving credit, which could be very difficult if you don't know, if you don't remember where mm. you've got, you know, where different sources of inspiration come from, but is not giving credit, especially where you know, kind of people's livelihoods are at stake. That obviously is yes. quite quite important.
0: Interesting, bringing shame in there. I mean, I'm intrigued to explore a bit more. Mm.
1: I find Why? I talk. I find that shame comes into my thinking and my conversations a lot. Um, I think there's a, well, there's a lot, I believe there's an awful lot of shame in our Western society mm. and culture, and, and and I think it's very harmful. Um, I do think wherever it feels like there's a strong prohibition or a kind of strong sense of being crushed or flattened, it's usually because there's a lot of shame going on.
0: Interesting. Okay. But yeah, I didn't see, yeah, now you've said it. I get it, but I didn't originally see the shame, and I suppose maybe that does that come back, do you think, to self image and self-concept? And, so, and the, the holding steadfastly to I think we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, that kind of idea of I am a creative and you associate that word with something. Do you think it kind of comes back to, to part of that? Mm.
1: That's a really good point. Yeah, I think I think it I think it does. I mean shame functions. I mean, other other people in the therapy world could say say a lot more about this a lot more eloquently, but shame functions to it its function is to keep us socially um on the right side if you like so it to, is to keep us in the group we feel mm. shame when we realize or when we've been you know when kind of it becomes apparent when other people tell us that we've transgressed social rules yes. um so but it but it also is something that we internalize definitely Mm. um so in terms of self-concept and self-identity yes it's the thing about the thing about shame is shame goes back to fear of dying fear of being excluded and abandoned and dying that's why it's so Mm. potent because it's you know it's it's actually it is existential if you go right back to to what it what it really means if you push it to its kind of furthest Um, it's for this limit. So, And and I think we create a sense of self and self-identity in order to understand our place in the world and feel safe enough. So, yeah, actually, I think the two must be quite closely related.
0: Interesting. You brought up a couple of bits and pieces for me. One's poetry, Mm. which I know... Oh, hopefully, please. There's what a poem by Elizabeth Jennings called um, Identity. Yes. yes. I, I think I might have shared it. But there is a, a line in there, and I'll quickly look back at my bookcase just in case I can see it and grab it. And of course, I can't. In a mode pure audio genius. I have my copy. I've actually British. suddenly found. I found my copy. This oh, copy no. I had when I was doing my A-levels. And oh, it is actually oh. marked up. Yeah, it's marked up weirdly, not only with my writing. I don't know who else got old in my book, but yeah, I mean, you can see, yes, that deconstructing does, yeah. Elizabeth Jen- Jennings' poems. But there's a line within identity. There we go. Um, when I decide I shall assemble you, or more precisely, when I decide which thoughts of mine about you fit most easily together, then I can learn what I have loved, what lets light through the mind. And so it's talking there about. Um, that's kind of her. Her piece never got. Yeah, later line. You can project the full picture of lover or friend that is not either, and so that kind of mm. I give you. I, I project a picture. I project a picture of Louise. You project a picture of me. I project a picture of Joe. All those full pictures are full to, to us, but are not necessarily even in combination. They're not necessarily full to everything else. But I've also been reading a lot of. Um, I say a lot, quite a fair bit, a bit. Several chapters of a book about uh, Koans. So kind of Zen tradition mm-hmm. koan is like a short poem or short story. Often ends with a monk hitting someone around the head. A bit weird.
1: <laughs> uh
0: that's <laughs> oh, why it's the way the monks seem to like they, they just battered their I don't know what their their trainee monks, whatever they're called, um I should know that, into all the abbots would try and batter the, the junior monks <laughs> into submission and shift the, the way they saw the world. This is a slightly more gentle Western version. But it's, again, it's talking about kind of clinging and how in the West we're very good at clinging to self-concept. So I am a writer, artist, surgeon, dot, dot, dot. and actually the whole self-construction then features around that thing. And what happens when that thing goes? Whereas In different cultures, it's more you're more centred as the person that you are rather than the thing that you do. Mm. so it's just yeah really interesting I I kept thinking about that when I was showing this thing with Devon Brown and these these four men these four four guys who were just obviously like yes we work in a creative agency we are creatives oh damn we've just been played on national primetime TV give them a squirm
1: that must be quite a quite a challenging experience to go through I've got both some they're like, ha ha, yes, okay, so yes, you're not all that, you creative agency types, having had my tangles with creative agencies in the past. Um, but also, there was the other word, wasn't there in that, uh, from the podcast um, a couple of episodes ago, the list of oh, words, yes. it's the other word, yes. that is, and so Chardonfreude is quite... Quite unpleasant and violent and and and, and really, you know, and unkind, really, and and, and severing of connections. About severing of connections, isn't it? It's not quite. I'm different to you. I'm better than you. Or your your misfortune is funny because it's not my misfortune. Whereas the other word that was done with an F, that I can't remember, was much more about connection and was much gentler, wasn't it? So I'm trying to figure yes, out with the gentler, so I, I suppose it would be the recognition that that's a human thing, and I would be. It would be as easy. For me to find myself on that in that situation actually I'm a human being and this is what human beings do and to have my sense of self-identity a little bit challenged, could be as easy for me to be that person
0: absolutely yes yeah, so like you said been on all, all sides of it but it it just kind of links together and it's it is just interesting how we hold those kind of self-concepts and again that Like I said, that kind of fetishization of the creative, of the new, of something else, we see it quite a lot in award entries and so on. And people put, I don't know, cans is always one that you sort of look at it and go, oh, this is amazing, never been seen before. And those of us who've been around for the last 20 years or so in the industry go, let's go back to 2004, this is pretty much the same thing. it's one of those things. Things come in cycles. We have cultural remembering. We have cultural forgetting, etc., etc., etc. So yeah, it's just it was just a bit, really interesting piece. Not a I love behavioural scientists, anyway. Ah, so yes, yeah, so behaviour, behavioural scientists. Yeah, it was. I think it was back. It was dark. I remember that much. It must have been back at the end of last year. And It yeah. was something about editorial judgments and control or something or other. Just really well put together little mini tutorials.
1: Really, really well put together, and the conversation and the questions were really good as well. And they, mm. I think they did, considering how many people they had signed up for it, literally hundreds, they did a very good job of managing the questions.
0: They do. Excellent. Love that publication. Love the people. Now, there's something else, Louise, I wanted to, mm-hmm. to bring into the conversation that you added into our keep. And I was like, this is fascinating. I want to talk about it. I want to learn. OK. Chat GPT.
1: Yeah,
0: obviously, we do Be love well. this. But you shared... I said we'd like it. I like reading about it. The longer it goes on, the more I'm like, it's not AI, it's large language model. Stop it.
1: Um, <laughs> they won't you, go round you Neil. They
0: oh, me. <laughs> grumpy, grumpy, grumpy. Um, and I've caught it lying. But hey that's That's another thing. Um, you shared something that just caught my imagination because it says it takes a body to understand the world. Why chat GPT and other language AIs not an AI. Um... Don't know what they're saying. And I was just like, oh, interesting, fascinating. And I wanted to get your take on it. Because I know we've spoken yes. before about language and body and embodiment and so on. And I was like, this is a really Louise piece to share. I love it.
1: I did. I found it. I can't remember what I was looking at. Maybe on Mastodon. I think I was looking at Mastodon because I don't really go on Twitter very much anymore. And yes, very it takes a nice. body to understand the world. And it's quite a short read, and I think everyone should read it actually, um, because I think it gives you a good perspective on what Chat GPT and these large language models do do and what they don't do. And the thing that really stuck in my memory, well, no, the thing that I understood in a new way was that and I knew this, but I understood it differently, is that all these large language models do is they, they use a large data set to predict the ways that words will be will fit together, the way that words are used together. I'm going to have to take that earphone out because that just sounds weird. Um, yeah, they use, a, they, they use a very large data set to predict what words are most likely to be next to each other. And if the data set's large enough, and the code and the whatever so i have no understanding of the inner workings of chat gpt but broadly the code you know and the training uh, you know the kind of the training of the model and everything it's been done well then chat gpt has a reasonably high degree of accuracy um in put in stringing together words in ways that would pff, ways that it makes sense and it's highly likely they'd be strung together to answer the, with the question or the prompt you've given it, and it, and it and it is, it is quite incredible actually that it does that. But that's all it is. It's predictive, based on what's been done before and what's in its data set before. And this is one of the things about ChatGPT is it doesn't know anything that wasn't put that wasn't fed into it before the last kind of training cycle. So any you know in the in this idea of creativity, um. Yes, chat GPT can recombine stuff, well it, it can predict how things are likely to be put together but it certainly can't generate anything completely new of its own and, and if there were discovery you know in the last six months chance of knowledge chance are chat GPT wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't know about it um, and the way that differs, so that's not how human beings, this article says that's not how human beings use language. We're not simply predicting. Actually, we are having experiences. We are, we are body, we are creatures, and our bodies are fundamental to the, to the way we experience the world. We can't experience the world without our bodies. It's absolutely essential. It's, that's how we, our eyes, all of our sensory organs are of our bodies, all of our inputs from our bodies mm. nothing gets directly into the brain um so all of our experiences of the world are mediated through our bodies and therefore when we're using language to describe things in the world it's it's a it's a bodied language so we understand that a, a cup is no good a cup to hold water or coffee is no good if it's up the wrong way because yes. the point is to hold the coffee so that we can drink it and, and you kind of it has to be orientated in space the right way. Uh, and you, know, you kind of you know, even where the handle is and how we hold it, you know, that's all relevant to how we use cups and therefore how we talk about cups. For chat GPT, for example, it doesn't matter. So potentially you know, it, the model might tell you that you could put the cup upside down and that would be fine potentially Mm. um and so it's that, that i think the article explained it much better than that but there's this idea that you know we understand the world through our bodies and i guess we understand the world and we talk about you know the function of talking about that is to communicate something about experience either to help other people or to share something about how the world is for us um and it and it has reminded me of my partner my husband who is is kind of very mathematical. And he once said to me that um, in terms of topology, which is the study of shape, he said a donut is the same as a mug because a donut has a hole in it, right? And a mug has a handle and therefore there's a hole between, there's a hole through it between the cup and the handle. The fact that there's a well in the cup so it can hold water, if you're just talking about the mathematics of it, it's not very interesting. So mm. it's a bit like that, you know, for chat for chat GPT, it might, for example, understand that a donut is not any different from a cup. It's kind of that's the kind of how I got my head around it a bit. It's it's looking okay. it's looking for different reference points and different data points.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Mm. I, agree. I read like that as well, the donut than cup, and remember that.
1: Mm. Yeah, can... they are topologically they're exactly the same. I
0: and mean, then you can put a donut in a cup, but can you put a cup in a donut?
1: Well, quite. And you know, Donuts might be good with coffee, but their bugger all used to drink it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the donut is a straw, yes. Goodness, Trixie. well,
1: yes. I mean the, I hadn't considered
0: that option. There's always opportunities. There's always more coffee. Um yeah, but I I really liked it and I thought actually it was a really interesting way of looking at what the large language models are, are doing and not having. You're right, that kind of not an embodied sense and understanding outside of language, which again, I know we've talked before about the kind of philosophy of such things and how language kind of constructs the world and limits the world we we live in, but actually without it, however we perceive language, whether it's verbal language, visual cues, other sensory data, and so on. Yeah, but I just thought it was an interesting, kind of interesting thought experiment of what could. GPT, I mean, GPT-4 seems to be getting around some of them, but they are still large language models. What would it be like, and where does it then differ? And that seems like such a graspable difference, actually, that they don't have bodies to mm. sense things, and so they, that multiple input doesn't happen. I mean, there were a couple of bits in the, the piece, and it's sort all of said, people have hands, That's like, Everyone has hands. Yeah. Um, I was like, no, no, know. That's, that's me, that's me nitpicking with the writers. Um, but I did think it was interesting they, they linked off to Gibson, uh, James J. Gibson and the theory of affordances.
1: Oh, well. gosh, did say yes,
0: yes, you and I was like, because I spotted that and it, and it says yeah, he's influenced by the theory of valences developed by Gestalt psychologists. And I was like, oh, Gestalt, lordy, um. But yeah, just, it, and again, just that interesting piece around the direct perception, how that influences. Again, I, I was then sort of starting to think about the old brain in a jar thought experiments. I, sound, I can't mm-hmm. who came up with that now, but what if, could we be brains in jars? What if we were brains in jars? I mean, it sounds very difficult to get a tie, um, <laughs> to be honest.
1: <laughs> and, and, and can't enjoy coffee. I mean, I'm, I'm not in, honestly. I'm not I'm not But
0: Indeed. That. <laughs> louise it's all about the coffee for louise can't eat <laughs> the portuguese coffee must be quite something listeners
1: <laughs> but i
0: just yeah, i just thought it was interesting in that and again it's, it, it's that little shift into understanding the way of the world so i mean i've made I, you know, bones I, i'm a visual thinker i'm a i'm a word type um i kind of i think through my fingers and and words of what i tend to default to rather than kind of sharing images and that sort of thing and so actually this kind of gave me an, a real opportunity to just sit back and go ah yeah there's there's processing that the large language models and i suppose of reflection it's called a large language model um mm-hmm. clues kind of in the name but the large language models just aren't capable of doing that and this is why some of the stuff is coming up really shonky
1: mm-hmm.
0: and lying let's be honest it, it lies the whole tell, me thing about about, lying. tell me about
1: Tell me about It's something unresolved for you here. And also, I'm, I want to know. I want to trip
0: it it's up. Just, it's just amusing. There was something I saw on, I think someone shared on Mastodon the other day about a lawyer who had to produce, I think, produce a retraction or produce a guarantee for the court that he had not used chat GPT to write the affidavit, which was just amusing. Um, but disappeared down some rabbit hole a while ago, a couple of months back now, around theories of luck. So someone had mentioned, I can't remember what was LinkedIn or Mastodon one the two, and said, oh, basically, look up theories of luck on ChatGPT and then kind of post what you find. And I think I posted about this on LinkedIn because it just made shit up. There's no two ways about it. Basically, it's something about, give it a prompt about something along the lines of, give me a summary of peer-reviewed research papers focused on the influence of luck on, I don't know, let's just call it branding, it was, some, it was something relatively specific, mm. and it churned out names of people and incredibly plausible sounding papers, wow. but I googled the first one, I, like, I did a bit of deep googling, as you do, couldn't find it, I had a bit of a brainwave, so I tracked down the author on LinkedIn, <laughs> I tagged them into the comment. I was like, did you write this paper? And I was like, no, not only did I write the paper, but I hadn't, I, he hadn't even heard of the publication it was apparently published in. So oh. I like, people, Chad GPT just makes stuff up. Yeah. Um, which is a bit yeah. worrying when a lot of people are using it to write marketing strategy. Because it doesn't write marketing strategy, it writes marketing tactics. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Get off my high horse. But it, is an, but it is an interesting one in that, you're right, they do remix. But that also then makes me think about, and what we were saying before about, I don't know Dylan hearing an Odetta song and it suddenly turns up almost its entirety like twenty years later and whatever. Actually, we're really good at doing that. We mm. hear stuff and we remix it all the time and we make it new. And I suppose Chat GPT, God, I sound like I'm defending it, Lordy. But it sounds, but it kind of jams words together, makes up plausible sounding papers by real people, which is, I mean, that's weird. That's just weird. um Still doesn't know who I am, but never mind. Keep asking to Keep know it to now again. I did
1: think I,
0: tra- I did think I trained it at one point because I was like, "This is a marketing opportunity. If I can get it to say Neil Hopkins works in," uh, I was about to say business change. Lordy, it's been a long day. Like behaviour change, and so within the within NHS communications, I'd be like, "That's it. I can use that on my eventual next job applications." It forgot. In the space of half an hour, because it's only trained up to 2021. But anyway, but I was like, actually, we do do that kind of remixing, but that kind of embodiment piece that you brought to it, I was like, that's then that crucial piece. And how much of our intelligence is wound up in, weaved into our experience of body and what our body tells us at any one moment and what happens when we listen to it.
1: That was quite exciting. His book, I'm still. Working my way through, I finished Derrida. I was still working, reading the Animal and I left it behind. So I'm certainly not going to read it until I get back. Desk, but desk, desk. He would say that consciousness is entirely dependent, or is, is dependent on our physical bodies. That's part of the, the kind of the direction of his argument that you can't kind of this idea of kind of the ghost in the machine. You can't separate consciousness and the brain from the rest of the body, our experiences and our understanding of the world, and and kind of the evolution and the use of consciousness are entangled with our with our mm. somatic being um, which which is also that kind of piece of conversation about you know bodiless chat gpt is yeah it made me think of that i think you know an understanding of how important in in western culture we there's quite quite a lot of privileging the mind over the body yeah, and yeah. thinking and rationality um you know would be going back to the enlightenment but but not just that the kind of the mind and, and the sense that you can kind of the idea that you can separate you can kind of mind over matter willpower things you know there's all sorts of little phrases like that that point to it um and actually it's really not that straightforward it isn't possible it, it isn't it isn't possible to just override your entire physical experience with your mind or with your will or with your consciousness.
0: Indeed. And yet people still walk across fire. I don't not know how they do I this. I don't
1: know how they manage that. There's, <laughs> there's clearly some element of that's, that's partly what made me hesitate. You know, you know, there's that the psychological battle or the psychological element, uh, It's sure, but you can't separate the two completely. It's, it's not possible. Indeed, very
0: important. They are, and yeah, like you say, there is. I I think you're so right. There's so much privileging of mind over, well, matter, Um, but mind over mind over body, whatever. Which is again, just thinking about that, that is really interesting. Thinking about bits of my career and so on, having to tune in and listen to kind of what's going on, especially at times of high stress or high nerves or something. There's quite a lot of insight there, but I don't ever really recollect being taught, trained, coached, whatever, at any point in either career or kind of at school, apart from, like, I don't know, school playing sports, if something hurts, well, mostly if something hurts, just keep on going, stop whinging about it. Um, but <laughs> just a bit like, I don't know, do, do your stretching better or whatever it might be. But actually that kind of somatic link, I don't know. Is that something that we should be more present with more thinking of as we kind of train ourselves to deal with world of business and such. I
1: I think so. I think so. I've got very interested in somatic coaching, um, and in, in embodiment. So actually I'm gonna throw in a quick plug for a fantastic, fantastic uh trainer, teacher, um, Paul King, who I did a leadership embodiment course with. this is Wendy Palmer's work. I didn't I haven't heard of Wendy Palmer. Um before but someone recommended Paul's course to me and in fact I I did a little bit of I was in a discussion group with him for a while and he's he's not always the most comfortable man with words I mean he's he's wonderful he's warm he's lovely to talk to but he's when it certainly when it comes to talking about what he does and promoting himself he's really not very comfortable with it at all but in the in the kind of in the room when he's leading a workshop on embodied leadership and basically he, in the in the first level i've only i've done le1 the first level there i think there are three levels um and i want to do the first level again because i'll get more from it next time i know that but he takes you through various physical scenarios that mirror and map to leadership challenges so one is about asking someone you know leading someone getting someone to follow you mm-hmm. and it's about feeling the moment when you lose connection and my okay. default i read and i've noticed a pattern through doing this physically you're physically walking with someone with your hands kind of connected and you're both you're kind of both sides of the pair so one's leading one's following and you're both asked to kind of pay attention to whether you want to continue walking kind of what your experience is like and i realize and i've realized that my default when i lose connection is to keep plowing along the course that i've set for myself and and you know you you i felt it physically because the other person stopped and started going in a different direction and i carried on walking and what went on for me emotionally was like on a minute why why are you why have you left me and oh, yeah wow. i was the leader in that situation so okay it's a, a useful question isn't why have you left me a more useful question is how have i lost you how can I how do I come back to find you again? As the leader, that's kind of the job. So and there's various exercises that kind of about basically really mirroring how you show up, even intellectually as a leader, but kind of you know, go going to the source, going to the physicality and the body stuff of it. It's incredibly deep. And and that's the stuff that we do without thinking. That's mm. the stuff that's the stuff that we do with before we can think. So all of the kind of Cognitive training or the kind of understanding of what processes we should be going through doesn't even touch this stuff. It's really felt, it's really in the body. So, if you work with the body, you can get in before you have to think and you can shift your your default patterns. It's absolutely fascinating. So, I've, I've got very, which is a very long winded way of saying, but I really wanted to give Paul a plug because he's actually fantastic and he's worked with some really, kind of, really high profile people as well. Um, so the kind of the body sense, and the somatic sense is is really important, I think, especially in business.
0: Amazing. I'll have to look it up. Definitely ping a link into the show notes.
1: Mm. Oh, I will. Well, I mean, if you fancy trying to find a course of his that we can both book on, I think he does some courses in Swindon, he does some in London. If you oh, fancy okay. trying to find a course that we could both book on, I think we'd get to you know spend a couple of days together. Um, Interesting. And you, I think you would you would enjoy it a lot
0: fantastic I'd, yeah definitely look out for that bro I think that I' mean speaking of somatics my my tummy is telling me it's it's possibly dinner time that time isn't it it me. is it is but it's been a marvel thank you as always I can't believe again I can't believe the, the ground we've covered the things have been going on for That's us thing,
1: isn't it all
0: the way through to embodied and somatic leadership.
1: I, I've had the most wonderful hour chatting away with you. It's been just marvellous. Thank you.
0: Thank you. It's been, yeah, it's been an honourable privilege as always. And an unfurling. I came back to that the other day and was like this is just an unfurling experiment that just keeps on, keeps on surprising even after 26 episodes. 26.
1: 26. God. And this... I love the fact that you use the word unfurling. Nobody else I know uses that word. And it is exactly right to describe this journey.
0: Indeed. And on that happy note, it's been a pleasure. Let's do it all again for episode 27.
1: Absolutely. Yes. All right, you. Take care.
0: Until then. bye. Bye.